Are you ready to make some real good learning? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Good Learning Podcast, where we dive deep into real-world examples of real good learning as told by the best L&D professionals in the field. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, founder and chief learning strategist at the Good Learning Agency, a boutique fractional CLO agency advising on corporate learning strategy that's aligned, effective, and approachable. At Good Learning, we believe over-the-top results don't require over-the-top learning. Each episode, we'll take a holistic look at a specific learning intervention, how it came to fruition, what went into developing it, how it was measured, lessons learned, and so much more. You'll hear from real-life L&D practitioners from all over the world who are doing the work and making some real good learning happen while doing it. No matter what your function is inside of your organization or team, we're all responsible for creating real good learning. Now, let's go see how it's done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I am so happy you're here. And I've been so excited to see how many of you have been connecting with the guests on this show. So I've had quite a few of our most recent guests uh, reach out to me and let me know that you all have been connecting with them, chatting with them, uh, continuing to learn from them. And the fact that this podcast in such a short existence is already creating community and making connections where there weren't before warms my heart so much. And it's just so great, you know, in this digital world that we're in and this dispersed world that we're in, how amazing it is to be able to meet like-minded people and people that we can learn from. And today's guest is going to be no different. This is someone who I've now known uh, for years. We've never met in real life. We don't even live in the same country, uh, but we have grown to be great friends and great peers in the L&D space. So today on the podcast, we have Simran Dupar, and Simran's childhood in Kuwait really sparked her interest in diverse cultures. And because of that, her passion for learning never waned. After completing her master's in business psychology, Simran began her career as a psychometrician before pivoting into learning and development. Today, she is a valuable member of the Gartner team, bringing her wealth of experience in ideating, launching, and scaling learning programs for groups ranging from new hires all the way to executive leaders. With a deep commitment to leadership development, Simran has supported over 1,500 professionals through the strategizing of development programs focused on application-based learning and coaching on fundamental leadership capabilities. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. And what I love so much about Simran, and going back to what we had I just mentioned in her bio, was this idea of application-based learning and coaching. And so many times inside of the learning and development space, we're creating these learning programs and we're hoping that while the learning program is going on or while the learning is happening, right, that all of a sudden magically when they get to the application phase on the job that they'll magically be able to do it. And what we talk about today is this idea of creating these practice environments and how important that is in that transfer of knowledge from knowledge to application essentially. And how do we give people the space to practice, a safe space to practice without the fear that if they make a mistake, they'll cost the company money or time or energy or resources. And so Simran really brings together today this idea of bridging that gap between what they're learning and when they're going on the job and how do we create that that idea of, of practice environments. So I know I learned so much from this particular episode. I know you will too, and I can't wait to hear what you take away from Simran. 
Simran, welcome to the Good Learning Podcast. Uh, so excited to have you on. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me. Um, as I mentioned, it's my first time being on a podcast. I'm really excited. And especially with the relationship we've had on LinkedIn and all the connections and all the talking around learning, it's really exciting to be on your podcast. So thank you for having me. I know you have gone through your own career transition and you have done so many incredible things in your, in the role that you're in now. And as you've grown and you've expanded in your role. So I'd love to kick off the episode by you telling us just a little bit about you, um, where you're, where, where you work and what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question um, to begin with. So for everyone who's listening to me right now, I am tuning in from Seattle, but I don't live here. So I live in New Delhi, India. Um, that's where I am from as well. But I've spent a lot of my childhood in the Middle East. So I've spent 18 years of my life in a country called Kuwait. That's where I did my schooling from. And then in 2014, I came back to my country, India. But the fact that I have my family across the globe and I've spent some time in another country in my childhood, it really makes me inclined towards being open to experiencing new cultures and just being very open to change. And that's exactly what happened in my professional journey as well. So I finished my master's in business psychology and I spent around a year working in behavioral sciences and psychometric assessments. But then, of course, as I mentioned, I love change. I love diversity. And so I pivoted into one of the best decisions I've made, which was the learning and development industry. And I've been loving it ever since I've been here. Um, so in my current role, I work in Gartner. Um, I work as an associate learning and development manager where I'm supporting their strategy and operations teams on all things learning and development. So I take care of a lot of new hire programs and also leadership programs. And for anyone who's read my posts on LinkedIn or who's interacted with me, they would know I am really, really passionate about leadership development. So I'm really glad I get to do that in my role in and out. Um, so the strategy and operations team is the one that works on a lot of high stake deliverables for our clients. So they have a lot of great value and impact that they create for Gartner. And I enable these teams to make sure that their performance is up to mark and they're getting that development and that learning that's crucial for their roles. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and my role at Gartner. That's amazing. So what we're focusing on on this show is one specific learning intervention. So my goal is for people to really understand what good learning looks like and for us to be able to dive into the specific of one particular learning solution or learning intervention. So tell us about the challenge or the change that you were tasked to solve and kind of what what intervention are we, are we talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great theme um, to start with because a lot of LMD professionals spend time just solving for challenges. That's what we really do, right? Yep. Um, so I've been in Gartner for around a year now. Uh, and when I came in, I used to deliver a lot of new hire inductions and I still do that. Um, there's just amazing programs which give a good rounded overview of Gartner's business model, our products to it, and also help them understand what do the teams do. So in my initial months when I was in Gartner, I did a lot of need analysis, focus group discussions with the people who went through the new hire inductions, just to know how they're feeling about it, right? And what, what's really going on? Because the surveys that we sent out, they just got initial reactions and we really did not know what the long-term impact of those programs are. 
interestingly, all of the associates who went through the induction, they loved those new hire programs, but they were always hungry for more. And so we were like, okay, it's time to dig in a little bit more and see what's really happening. And we observed that while they were getting all the foundational knowledge, there was a gap in the tools knowledge, the processes knowledge, and also the skill sets knowledge that they were supposed to have. While they were getting that knowledge and education at a later stage, the, the gap in between was not really sitting well with the associates and it impacted their confidence. It also impacted their productivity when they were working on a live client request. And so there was a lot of inconsistency um, in their onboarding experience and also their productivity ramp up. So that was the challenge that we were looking to solve to make sure that before they go on to a live client project, they get the exposure and the experience to work on those tools and kind of practice and feel free to make mistakes. Because if they make a mistake on a live client account, the repercussions and the impact can be really high. So we wanted to make sure that that's not the first time they get introduced to a new tool or a new process and they have something to practice and feel more accustomed to before they go live on a, on a big client project worth millions of dollars. Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of people too, they get fearful of making the mistake. Mm-hmm. So because of that, they maybe don't like make a, a good decision or they're too scared mm-hmm. to you know, take, a, take a calculated risk, which yes. we, we want, right? And, and, and when we're thinking yeah. about you know, going out there and, and you know, creating, either creating good learning or you know, do, ha- making sure that our people are enabled, we want them mm-hmm. to feel confident in it, right? And so Absolutely. a lot of times that confidence comes from the fact that, oh, I made I was able, I made that mistake and I learned from it and so it sounds yeah, like creating absolutely. the environment for them to make mm-hmm. those mistakes in a very safe environment so that way Surely. when they go out into the the, the real world quote unquote yeah. right that yeah. they they have that capability and they can can take more educated risks to make mm-hmm. sure they're mm-hmm. absolutely clients. yeah and especially in a business model like Gartner because we're working on client accounts as I mentioned which are worth millions of dollars the clients really want a very strong experience. And that's what Gartner's mission is, right? We want to provide a remarkable client experience. And more than allowing them to make mistakes, we just want to feel, we want them to feel confident about, you know, those tools so that the deliverable quality is just spectacular. And, you know, the clients retain, they want to continue the relationships with Gartner. So that was a challenge we were solving for to avoid first M impressions on a live client request and giving some exposure beforehand. Yeah. Okay. So that was the challenge. Now, mm-hmm. what was the solution that you developed? So what really, what was the the output that came from noticing and recognizing that this was a challenge inside the organization? Surely. Um, so the solution that we thought about or brainstormed, it was really big. So we broke it down into certain phases. Um, and phase one of our solution, as I mentioned, was really focused on giving all of the associates a platform or an opportunity to apply and learn by doing. So for the strategy and operations teams, if I may give a little bit of insight here, they work on a lot of deliverables. So they have to use a lot of specific tools, which are very custom to each team and each capability. They have very specific processes as well and skill sets. Now, the challenge, as I mentioned, was that They were getting partial exposure, but they were not really working on those tools before going on a live client project. So our solution here was to design a two-week learning journey where we worked with the POCs from those teams. And that was the best part because 
they knew exactly what those associates require, right? So the first step really was to do a full-fledged job task analysis, just really go back to every associate level, you know, job descriptions, their responsibilities, do a lot of observation to see what tools are they using every single day? What kind of processes are they involved in? What skill sets should they be exhibiting to make sure that A, their productivity is excellent, B, their performance is great, and of course, due to which client value is remarkable. So we worked for around three months just building those information up. So we, you know, we listed down a lot of skill sets that they would need, processes that they would need, and also tools that they should be great on or have a strong proficiency on. The next step was to categorize them into the very famous 30, 60, 90 learning framework where we you know, put things in the 30-day bucket, 60-day bucket, and then the 90-day bucket. So this was where we had lots of good information on what we would want to teach the associates or help them learn. The second part, of course, was how do we make it happen, which is a tricky one. Uh, for the tools, we decided to make it learning by doing, as I mentioned. So there were a lot of activities that we built, a lot of you know working assignments for them to go and work on. So instead of just watching videos on how do you use Excel, they were actually working on a data set to do analysis, data management, pulling out the insights, presenting to a leader. So they were doing a lot of things and the experience and the exposure part was our key priority in that learning program. Once all of this was done, we then structured it into learning journeys across the two week span. So, you know, following a sequence of which tool happens first and then what goes second and so on. And this was really the solution we built on, very focused on learning by doing, lot of application and it was supplemented with mentor support. So everybody would have a mentor working with them who would clarify, provide guidance. In addition to that, there was also a lot of education where they would first learn about the tool, then apply the tool and then get feedback and review from a mentor. So all of these built together was a very strong, rounded learning experience for the associates. So that was a solution we came up with to tackle the challenge we were just speaking about. I love that. And it's such a well-rounded solution too, right? It's not just focused on one specific learning deliverable or learning asset. Mm -hmm. It's really looking at, you know, holistically, what is your, you think like the client experience, right? But really, you know, that, that learning experience that you're talking about and creating that learning journey, uh, which I think a lot of people it's easy to skip that step of thinking about what's the actual journey they need to go through, um, especially yeah. when we have clients coming or, you know, leadership coming and saying, hey, we need this, 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 and this, mm -hmm. being able to take a step back and create that journey allows you to, to look at that yeah. more holistically for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the best part about this whole solution was that we were not building a lot of things from scratch. It's sometimes, you know, it's a very popular saying in learning and development that not everything requires a new component or a new training, right? You have existing resources. If you're able to leverage them, you're a star, right? We've been discussing that on and on on LinkedIn and other platforms. And we did exactly the same. We worked with the stakeholders from their teams. They had these learning resources, most of them, I would say, scattered in different directions. We just brought it all together. We cleaned them up a bit and we structured them. And all of us were surprised to see how it was existing, but all we had to do was fine tune it a little bit. And our major goal was to ensure consistency because the strategy and operations team in Gartner is huge. There are so many different capabilities. 
each of them had their own way of doing things and that was not working really well in terms of you know that associate experience and learning so we made sure that a it's consistent second it's not just about telling it's also about doing a lot of things and that's where our goal uh, was being met yeah so with so many moving parts right on that journey what what formed or even informed your strategy to do that so why that versus just you know a one and done training or something along those lines? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so a lot of inspiration came from our existing initiatives in other parts of Gartner's business. Um, so, you know, we, again, spoke to a lot of stakeholders within Gartner who were doing similar things in maybe some other business unit. And we came to a conclusion that, okay, maybe, you know, this could work well with us. And the second piece was we went through a lot of focus group discussions, as I mentioned, and then when we analyzed all the responses that we received, there was a common theme that we want to learn more about the tools. We want to learn more about, you know, the processes we're going to work on, not when we're actually on a client request, but beforehand. And again, as learning and development professionals, we know that one of the best ways to help retain information and build that confidence is when people work on things by doing, because A, they're going to retain it for a longer period of time. Second, it builds that confidence, which is very, very crucial. So this was a huge part of forming our strategy on why we would want it to be more application-based and not just education. The third piece on why we would also want to have mentor support was because a, it was an existing um, strategy that they were using. So we did not want to completely reinvent the wheel and you know give a completely new program to the stakeholders because again, they'd just be like, what? I mean, you know, we were doing the right things. So we just supplemented what they had existing with certain missing gaps. So adding the application part, for example, refining the education part as well. And thirdly, we wanted to make sure that there's a flow, as we were discussing already, it's a more seamless experience. So instead of first doing the experience part and then the education, which does not make sense in a lot of cases, we made sure that the education comes first and then you have the experience and then you have the exposure and the guidance bit. So if I were to answer that in a simple way, again, it would be a lot of our experiences from designing previous learning programs and also the whole experience exposure education blend that we talk about a lot in the learning industry. That was a very simple rational that formed our strategy for this program. I love that. I One thing that I really took away from what you were saying too, and I hope others listening are taking away as well, is that mm-hmm. whole part of not reinventing the wheel and seeing what yeah. is already working, because I think it's very easy. We're problem solvers, right? That's, that's yeah. what I think as learning and development professionals, you're kind of a naturally a good problem solver. And so yeah. our, it's easy for our minds to say, okay, well, how do I fill this gap? And how do I fill that gap? And, and for us to go in that direction and mm-hmm. to fix what's broken, but I think it's harder for us to say, wait, what's already working? Yeah. And I say this to my clients all the time too, like rather than always focusing on what's broken, how do we amplify what's already working? Absolutely. So, so that's a big piece that I, I just took away and I hope others do too of, it's not yeah. just about what's broken, but it's about saying, hey, what is working already? And what's the business mm-hmm. already doing that they're used to that yeah. that maybe just needs some tweaks? It's not Absolutely. about the wheel. Yeah. I, I just no, love, I that love that, that. 
that helped to inform that strategy for you is rather than saying, okay, how do we start completely fresh? You said, well, where, where are things already working and how do we make things better? Yeah. I love that. I love that how you wrap it all together. And I think this is, this is something every learning and development professional must have gone through at some stage in their career, right? Where we're expected to design new things all the time, because that's where they think it's valuable. Yeah. As a professional, it's very important and crucial at times that you tell the business that, you know what, you have the pieces ready. You just need to thread them together, you know, bring them together and it's just going to work fine. So yeah, it does involve a lot of difficult conversations, a lot of negotiation, but if you ultimately deliver the value, um, it will make sense to them as well in the longer run. Yeah. So creating a program like that and having that type of strategy, you know, that definitely requires a certain skill set from you and from the team that you're working with and on. So what skills did you personally and your team leverage to develop this amazing learning journey program? Yeah, absolutely. I think this was one of the one of the programs that stretched my skill set a lot as well. So it was a lot of learning for me as a professional too. Uh, but if I were to talk about certain skills that came really handy, um, the first one I would say is stakeholder management that really stood out because we were working for around four to five months just talking to people on those teams because we really wanted to understand what's going on in their teams, what their associates require. So a lot of discussions, a lot of negotiation, setting the right expectations with stakeholders, that was one very crucial skill set that helped us get through the phase one of this program. In addition to that, as I mentioned, need analysis. This is this is a holy Bible every L&D professional would talk about that before you even get started on anything, just spend time on analyzing the current situation, uncovering the reality, so a lot of questioning, um, you know, a lot of root cause analysis really helped us get to what the real issue was and what we are solving for. So I'm glad we spent that time really uncovering the layers. That was second. Thirdly, yeah, in terms of the learning skill set, a lot of curriculum development came very handy because we had to create a lot of learning structures, a lot of learning journeys. So that really helped us. Um, there was a lot of program management that we were utilizing because as I mentioned, it's a phased program. So we'll have to continue to take all the parts from phase one and then take them into the next phases. So that really came in handy. And then yeah, learning design, also delivery, because we might be facilitating a lot of sessions, a lot of, uh, we're helping a lot of POCs deliver sessions to their teams. So it would be a mix of just learning specific skill sets and then a lot of stakeholder management, program management, need analysis, and having difficult conversations. Uh, these would be the ones that really helped us get through with the first phase. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, too, like in addition to in addition to skills, right? There's a lot of tools that I know is required to put something of this scale and multiple phases together. So yeah. what? What tools did you leverage? Does your team leverage? You know, the program mm -hmm. leverage. What what type of tools have you been been using, or did you use? Yeah, surely. So for this one, it's an interesting one because we did not utilize a lot of traditional learning tools like you know Articulate, Adobe, for that matter, uh, because we had a lot of very role specific learning intervention that we were working on. So there were tools like Excel, there was Python, SQL, PowerPoint. These were the tools that we were utilizing. And then there were very custom tools that are specially built for deliverables. 
um, which I don't think, um, you know, would fit across the board. So every capability had their own suite of tools that they were using. So we leveraged them, you know, to build the application-based activities, the education components and the exposure components as well. For our team who was managing this program, I think we utilized Excel to manage, you know, our project charter, to look for timelines, to make sure we're making progress in the right directions. We utilized a lot of PowerPoint templates to create some quick learning, um, you know, resources and supplementing information. And moving on as we phase this program and scale it further, we do see the potential of introducing a lot of learning design um, tools like Articulate, as I mentioned, and Adobe, and also also Camtasia, to name a few. Yeah, and we we were talking about this before we hit record too. What what I what I'm so happy about or excited for you to have shared is that you didn't have to invest in or utilize mm -hmm. necessarily all of these tools. And I think sometimes we feel the pressure to use them, uh, you know, because they're there, because they yeah. have invested in them. And so mm -hmm. I think it goes back to even when we talked about the skills, right? Of like, what is the current state? Where, where what are people already using? And how do we go to where people already are? Versus mm -hmm. making that making them go somewhere completely new, having us you know, recreate the wheel. Why would we recreate a tool in Articulate when we it already exists in, in PowerPoint or in yeah. you know in, in Excel or something along those lines too? So, mm -hmm. what it, hearing that, I think it's a really good reminder that we don't always have to use the shiny, bright, you know, most expensive new learning tools. Yeah for good learning to happen. And that's mm -hmm. again, one of the, one of the things I want was I, you, we didn't even, I didn't even know that I needed to hear that, but it, it just goes, you know, back to the kind of the mission of this podcast, which is we can create really good learning without it having to be all the bells, all the whistles yeah. that good learning comes from meeting people where they're at and saying, Hey, you're already using this tool. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's just make it better. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an important reminder, especially for all, you know, the early career professionals who are listening to this, even the students who are looking to get into learning and development. Many times, yes, I have been there. So I relate that we've been tempted to, you know, if you don't know Articulate, you're not going to get through. If you don't know Adobe, you're not going to get through. It's really about how do you understand what your stakeholders need and how do you solve for that problem? And trust me, e-learning is not always the solution. For phase one of this program that we discussed in the last 25, 30 minutes, there were no signs of e-learning that we had to use because there was a different solution that this program really needed. So while we're tempted to bring in again these fancy interactive e-learning programs, only use it when it's actually needed. And I think a lot of people that you know I speak to on LinkedIn and otherwise, they've been amplifying this message that pick the right solution for the right situation and don't use a blanket approach. So yeah, we did exactly that. And so far we've been doing great without any e-learning, but yeah, moving forward if needed, we'd be happy to bring those in because yeah, we love some interactive learning for our associates. Yeah. Sure. And I, what I like too about like the phased approach, right? Because you get, rather than rolling everything out all at once, mm -hmm. you get to, to roll, roll something out and then, and then assess what are, are there any, or there Absolutely. Still? And yeah, I that gap believe might... that was exactly um, the, uh, you know, the rationale on why we're keeping this phased because we would want to first assess 
look for progress and impact before we move in. And it would also help us to see what do we need to change? Because if you roll out everything in once, you would never know what went well, what didn't, and you would not have an opportunity to make any changes. That's also a very strong reason on why we're keeping this sequential and not a single rollout. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, having rolled out phase one, what would you do differently if you could go back to mm-hmm. the, before phase one rolled out? What would you do differently? Um, yeah. What, 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 what have you learned from, from this, this program rollout so far? Yeah, I think I've learned lots. If I may say so, it's really stretched my potential as, as a professional, as a, as a learning and development, um, you know, uh, employee in this organization. Um, in terms of what we've really learned is how do you bring different capabilities together under one single scope project, right? Because as I mentioned, under strategy and operations, every team has their own way of doing things. They have very specific tools that they use. So sometimes bringing them together could be a challenge. So we, we really learned about how do you still make it work out? How do you still keep the individual pieces rolling, but still under the same scope that was one? If we were to do things a little differently, maybe, you know, in phase two or so on, uh, would be to spend more time diversifying the, the learning interventions that we use. Though currently also we're using a lot of different approaches that, you know, we're using data sets, we're using case studies, we're using scenario-based learning, so many things. But I would want to really think a little more out of the box and make it a more fun, engaging experience for the associates who come into Gartner. So that's one thing which we will really focus on that while we're talking about tools, we're talking about processes, sometimes it can get very dry because they're all technical things that they're working on. How do you keep it very relevant, valuable, but still make it fun and engaging? That's one contrast that we would love um, to explore when we move on to phase two. Yeah. And I didn't prep you for this question. So now I'm putting you on the spot, but how, how are you measuring success of the program? Yeah, totally. So that's a really good one. It's a very important question. And yeah, we've been working a lot on making that happen. So the good part about this program was that um, it's a very tool focused, a very application focused program. So we can do a lot of real time observation on how well they're doing on the activities. And that's exactly why we've mapped mentors for this program as well. So for, for example, an associate who finishes an assignment or you know, a task on Python or SQL, there would be a mentor who would review their entire approach, their thinking, um, how did they solve for that challenge, and then do a lot of discussions to understand their, their thought process behind that solution and then provide them feedback. That is one. Secondly, as I mentioned, this group is working on a lot of deliverables. So for the quality of that deliverable, for the impact of that deliverable, they would be using the tools that they're learning about in this learning program. So we are going to draw correlations to see, um, you know, if the quality of the tools has improved or not, if the ratings of those deliverables have improved or not. And that would help us draw a correlation that, okay, as the quality of the deliverables have improved, this program helped facilitate that improvement um, in the ratings, in the client experience, et cetera. So yeah, that's where we are at right now. But of course, as we um, you know, intensify the scope of this program, there will be a lot of other metrics coming in. And we're definitely going to use a lot of um, you know, conversations with the stakeholders, with the people who go through this program to get those reactions also, 
but from a quantifiable metrics perspective, because these tools are directly connecting to the deliverables that they're working on, we would look for a lot of quality ratings, um, you know, a lot of client feedback. How did they, you know, maybe shorten the time they needed to deliver that tool, et cetera. These are some of the ratings that we're going to map. Yeah. And I, and I love too that your approach to that isn't just singular as well, right? That you're, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we're able to look at multiple different ways to track the success and measure the success, mm-hmm. it tells us a much more complete picture than if we just pick one, one particular yeah. metric and focus on that. Yeah. Absolutely. And also for the group that we're working with, there are a lot of capabilities who don't work on deliverables also. So we have both contrasts, right? And in that case, we're like, okay, how do we map progress? How do we show impact? And what we really uh, what we really understood was it doesn't have to be numbers all the time. You could still get feedback. You could still get qualitative narratives and that does show impact. So for us as professionals, it's going to be a learning on how do you assess and um, you know track progress from narratives and stories and 360 feedback. So yeah, that's going to be a learning for us as well. Um, and we're doing bits of quantitative, qualitative, a mix. So we're excited for that. Yeah, I'm really excited too. So thinking about what's next on the horizon for you all, I mean, you have this incredible program. You're obviously, mm-hmm. phase one is, is in progress. You're going to have phase two and three. You know, what what are you working on next? What's the next big project for, for you and your team? Yeah, surely. So the biggest um, priority at this point is definitely scaling this out to all the roles and all the levels uh, within strategy and operations. That's one. Uh, A second project, which I'm really, really excited about is launching coaching role plays for all of our strategy and operations managers. So within Gartner, we have three really amazing leadership development programs. And as a part of two of them, we are providing all of the managers an opportunity to learn a very important skill set that's coaching through role plays and through scenario-based learning. So we're phasing that out. We're building a lot of case studies, which are very customized um, to their business capabilities to give them that flavor of how does it look like when you coach an associate? Um, So that's what we're working on next. Yeah, these are two big priorities for this year. And we're very excited as a team uh, to put them into action. I love that. So before we wrap up, what would you say, another question I didn't prepare you for, but what would you say is your number one tip for Mm -hmm. anyone listening when it comes to creating good learning? Oh, I love that. There's so many, so it's going to be hard to pick one. (laughs) Um, But the first one that comes to my mind is very connected to what we were speaking about already, Sarah, is that uh, do not go with predefined answers, you know, when you are designing a learning program, you might be tempted to pick up the most trending solution, you know, for now, it could be maybe using AI, um, again, e-learning, it doesn't have to be that. So do not restrict yourself that, okay, it needs to be fancy, it needs to be very interactive. Sometimes it's the boring traditional solution, but if it's working for your stakeholders, that is pretty much it. So yeah, my top advice to anybody who's listening to this would be do not go with predefined answers. Just spend time on understanding what actually do you need to solve for and then map your solution to that problem. Do not try to fit the problem to your solution, but do vice versa where you're actually mapping your solution to the problem. That's my top advice of what I've learned in the last few years of being in l 
I love that. I love that. I couldn't agree more. So Simone, I know people listening are going to want to connect with you. Where can people find you, chat with you, talk to you and learn more about you? Absolutely. I am all game for connecting with people. And Sarah and I, we met on LinkedIn as well. So it's testimony of how things can go on. And we're on a podcast right now and chatting. So anyone who wants to reach out to me, I am more than happy to connect. I am on LinkedIn um, with the name Simran Rupa. And I do create a lot of content also. I've been away for a while now. Uh, But yeah, do reach out to me, send me a connection request. I would love to set up time support you if you're looking to move into learning and development, if you are already in learning and development and wanting to progress your career further. I am a pivot myself and, um, you know, I have so much to share from my journey. So I'd be more than happy to connect. So yeah, do reach out and come say hi. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the inaugural episode. Uh, Couldn't think of anyone better to join, to share their experience. So thank you so much. Uh, I know I got so much from today's episode and so many great ahas. And I know so many people will too. So I, I'm excited to have you come back once phase two and three mm-hmm. are rolled out and we do so, a little bit of a, a part two so we can let everyone know how that went as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this was my first time on a podcast. So Nailed much to take it. away. And yeah, Nailed it's always it. going to be special because firsts are special. But yeah, it's always great to meet you, talk to you, and you have a wonderful audience out there. So I'm so happy I could play a role in sharing some of my experiences and stories. So yeah, this was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you got both inspiration and practical tools that you can use to create your very own good learning. If this podcast impacted you in any way, please consider giving us a review to share your feedback. We would love to hear how you're applying tips from the show to your own work. And if you're looking for help in creating your very own good learning strategy for your organization, check out realgoodlearning.com to see how we can help.